Thank you, uh, Claire, Joey, Andrew. It's great to worship. I see you're applying already what we talked about last week in Ephesians. We're back in the book of Ephesians today, and we're now going to dive a little deeper into Paul's commands on the Christian life and sanctification and how we are to live as Christians. How is the church supposed to live? With the Holy Spirit in us? With the Holy Spirit filling us? And Paul's now going to focus on marriage. We'll be looking at marriage for the next few weeks, starting today with wives and and then husbands for a couple of weeks with uh, an elder installation service in between those. But even if you're not married, even if you're single, this applies because you can be married someday. You might be married someday. Even if you're younger, if you're a teenager, able to understand what the Word says, this is for you. Even husbands as we look at wives and wives as we look at husbands, this is for you. Today we want to look at the Spirit-filled wife, Ephesians 5, 22-24. This is a great passage. It's not a well-liked passage by the world, but it is a great passage. It helps us as Christians, otherwise it wouldn't be here. Ephesians 5, verses 22-24. through 24. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. As to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Not sure if you're aware, but marriages are under attack today. Marriages are under attack and have been under attack for many decades now, not just in our country, but all over the world. The world, the devil, the flesh wants marriage to be destroyed. It is an institution given to us by God. And yet, in every way, the goal of Satan is to destroy marriage. To destroy what God has designed. To twist it, to corrupt it, to make it fall apart. In recent decades, in many of our lifetimes, we've seen things such as the sexual revolution, no fault divorce, so-called homosexual marriages, but probably has nothing has affected the church more than this idea of the feminist movement. Not the original feminist movement, that women should vote, but the more modern feminist movement has really sought to disrupt God's design for marriage. And it's through that that we get female pastors, that we get wives ruling in the home over their husbands. And this has come into evangelicalism. In recent times. Evangelicalism being the gospel proclaiming churches. The Protestant churches. The reformed churches. I'm not speaking of a political group when I say evangelicalism. I'm speaking of the evangel. The gospel. Those that came out of the Protestant Reformation. And in this movement. Biblical commands for the wife to submit in marriage. Are either ignored. Or relegated to the dustbin of history. Seen as unimportant. Seen as of no use for us today. As if we have evolved spiritually to the point where we don't need the Bible's help anymore in our life. Now that might be fine for the world, but as Christians, as Christian families, marriages, couples, individuals, we can't just relegate the Bible to history. It has history in it, of course, but it's relevant today for our lives. And these epistles, and Ephesians being an epistle of the Apostle Paul given by Jesus Christ to his church, we have to learn from it. We have to read it, understand it, and apply it to our life. I was just speaking to a brother before the service about remembering Scripture. 
And we've, we're talking about how important it is to do Scripture. It's nice if you can remember it, but doing it. We're to be doers of the Word. And that's really what we've been looking at since Ephesians 4.1 and now all the way through the end of the book. God in His infinite wisdom knows all things. He knew that what we're looking at today would be a problem. It would be a problem in the world. It would be a problem for the flesh, even for believers. And so, in his infinite wisdom, he put it here in Scripture for us. He put it here for our good. It's a blessing. If you believe that Scripture is a blessing to you, then you have to love all of it. Now, sometimes it describes sins, and we don't love the sin, but we love the fact that God is calling out the sin and helping us. And sometimes it gives commands about marriage and the family and work, which we'll be looking at over the next few weeks. And we have to be thankful for that. Because God has his people's best interests in mind. God loves his people. God loves marriage. He created it. So anything he says about it, we need to look at. We need to consider. Last week, we looked at Ephesians 5, 18 and following. And we saw that instead of living a life of sin, of drunkenness, of intoxication, of worldly lust, really. Instead of that, we must be filled by the Holy Spirit. That's our imperative. That's our command. That's the principle we ought to live by. Be filled by the Spirit. And then Paul goes on to tell us how we're to do that. We saw that the Holy Spirit fills a believer with more of the words of Christ. We had to do some study to figure that out. But the filling is done by the Spirit. And what he's filling us with is more of Christ's word, more of Christ's will, really. As we know his word, as we live it out, we can live out the will of God that we've been called to live out. And he said, we ought to let the Spirit fill us by singing to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. He said we ought to let the Spirit fill us by singing in our hearts to the Lord. So we just did that as a body. We ought to give thanks to God for everything. We ought to pray to God and give thanks. And as we do these things, the Spirit is filling us more with more of Christ, with more of His Word. And then he finished off in verse 21 saying, Submit to one another in the fear of Christ. This is not mutual submission here. It's submitting to one another in the relationships and roles that God has ordained. And Paul's now going to open that up all the way through 6.9. He's going to teach us what those roles look like, what those relationships look like. And there are three of them, marriage first, then the parent-child relationship, and then the slave-master relationship. So in each one of those, he's going to begin with the one who is to submit. And then he'll talk about the one who is to lead. This is one, really, that the world will take and use to their own advantage. They will take this truth on the submission that the wife is to give to her husband and twist it and use it however they want. And Paul knows this. He's writing to the Ephesians in a pagan world where women are priests, where there's prostitutes in the temple in Ephesus, where a female goddess is worshipped. He knows this is a problem then. It was a problem after the fall. And it is a problem today. And so he just starts off by saying, Submit. Wives, submit. This passage really isn't hard to understand. We're not going to spend a lot of time today understanding what it means. Because it's rather straightforward. We're going to deal more with what it teaches us, what it shows the world about marriage, and some of the objections to it. Like Mark Twain said, who was an unbeliever, by the way. He said, I have far more trouble with the things I do understand in the Bible than the things I don't understand. We often have more trouble with what the Bible's telling us to do 
and the fact that we don't understand it. So in this passage, in three verses, uh, Paul's going to give three reasons, three reasons wives should submit to their husbands. And he gives these reasons in a few different ways. You'll notice that sometimes he compares, so he's implying a reason when he compares. He'll use the word as. Wives, submit to your husband as. And then one time he uses the word for. But all of these really are reasons. Reasons that a wife should submit to her own husband. Let's look first of all at number one. The wife's submission is in obedience to Christ. The wife's submission is in obedience to Christ. In verse 22, wives, be subject to your own husbands. This word be subject, I really think better is submit. They're trying to make it passive here because it's a passive form of the Greek word hupotasso, which means to submit to the orders or directives of someone. And in this case, he tells who the someone is, your own husbands. Now, the Bible commands many roles of submission. It's not just the wife who's told to submit. There are many roles. The government, we're, we're told to submit to the government as Christians. We're told to uh, children are submit to the parents, younger men to older men, slaves to masters, women to male elders and pastors, men to male elders and pastors. Believers are to submit to God. Church members to elders and apostles, it even says. Christ submits to the Father, which we'll look at, and wives to their own husbands. So we're all called in some form to submit. Everyone is. It's just a matter of finding in this list, which one are you and where should you fulfill the role God has given you? Today we're looking at wives submitting. Wives submitting, being submissive to their own husbands. It's just to your own husband wives that you're supposed to submit. That's the limit. You're not to submit to other people's husbands. Wives, you're not to submit to just anybody for any reason. God has given the list that I just gave. And in this case, the most intimate, close relationship, physically at least, is with your own husband. That's who you submit to. If somebody else comes along and tries to fulfill that role of your husband, then you better run away. You better not listen to them. You better reject whatever they're calling you to do. He is your intimate possession. We don't even see this in English, but it's even more clear in, in the Greek. Your own husband, your close, intimate possession. The one that God has given you. Not to anyone else in that way, but only to your husband. Now, at this point, many will just say, look, women are just being called to slavery in the Bible. What is this? Aren't we beyond this point? Many liberal Christians will even say, this is nothing but slavery. It must mean something else. Well, it's not slavery. It's voluntary submission. He's speaking to the wives and he's calling them to voluntarily submit to their husbands. Willingly. With a loving heart. One woman writing about this and dealing sort of with the objection that this is slavery said, I wouldn't be very comfortable with that kind of submission either. The world's view of this verse. She says, as a matter of fact, I'm not particularly comfortable with any kind of submission, but since it's God's idea and not mine, I'd better come to terms with what the Bible says about it and stop rejecting the whole thing just because it is so often misunderstood and wrongly defined. Often the problem is just a misunderstanding of what it is. Or thinking of the absolute worst case scenario that we've heard about. We'll deal with some of those scenarios and objections later. But the command is, wives, be subject. Submit to your own husbands. You know, the world hates this teaching. The world hates this. This doctrine of godly submission by the wife is is completely rejected. But we're not to care about that. 
We're going to stand before God for what we do with Scripture as Christians. We're going to stand before the Lord. Wives, you're going to stand before the Lord for your obedience to this passage. We don't just take our beliefs from the world and stand before the Lord someday and say, well, the world told me to do this. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's giving a loving command to wives. We don't have the right to redefine the roles of marriage. We don't have the right to make up our own interpretation here. Do we not pray to the Lord, your will be done, Father, on earth as it is in heaven? If we pray that, then we've got to live out his will. This is the way, wives, that you live out your practical obedience to Christ. Your practical obedience to Christ. How do you live out what you believe? This is a primary way that you do that, Paul says. Now, men, we're going to come to you. We're probably going to spend two weeks on you husbands. And Paul has three times as many words to say to men as he does to women. But I go ahead and address you now, husbands, future husbands. Notice that it calls the wife to voluntarily submit to her husband. It does not address you. It does not address the husband here. It's addressing the wife. You can't force your wife to submit. You can't force her to be subjugated to you. You can't force her to a life of misery and slavery or domination or whatever your view is of marriage. It's calling the wife to do it out of obedience to Christ. It's not your job, husband, to make your wife submit. And if you try, it's only going to make things worse. Now you can correct lovingly. You can call out scripture. You can teach from the Bible that God's word do the work in her. If, if she is unsubmissive, if she still refuses, and you're doing that in love, appealing to her from the scriptures, then you can get counseling. Biblical counseling. That's what it's designed for. And don't wait until your marriage is falling apart. Get help if that's the case. But ultimately, husbands, you entrust her to God and let her follow the Lord's obedience. You don't force that upon her. Now back to wives. Be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. It's a key phrase there. You don't submit to your husbands because he's a great guy. He might be a great guy. You do it just like you submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Every time the Lord's mentioned here in Ephesians, that's your Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that your husband is equal to Jesus, that he is some sort of God. No, but in the same way, and in the same manner that you submit to Christ, wives, you are submitting to your own husband. It's really the lordship of Christ on display in your life. Wives, as, as you do this, you're showing others what Christ means to you. You're showing others what Christ has done in your heart. That you can do this. That you even can do this and do it with a loving heart and the right attitude means that something has changed in your life. That Christ has done something. As to the Lord. Now those who call themselves Christians have to do this. There are many people who say, well, I'm a Christian, and they show good fruit amongst everyone else. But at home, it's a wreck. At home, they're not submitting at all. Their marriage looks like an unbelieving marriage. You wouldn't notice the difference. And I would say that this passage and how you live it out, wives, is extremely important to your own sanctification. Anybody can sort of put on a Christian show for a couple of hours, but how are you living out this command of Christ every day, every week in your marriage. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. It's part of your submission to the Lord, in other words. It's, it's part of your submission to Christ. 
This means that when a wife is willing to submit to her husband, she's honoring the Lord. She's pleasing to the Lord. She's doing what the Lord commands. And the opposite is true as well. When a wife refuses to submit, she's displeasing the Lord. She's rebelling against the Lord. Your submission to your husband is fully intertwined with submission to Christ, Paul's saying. You cannot separate the two. You can't say, I love the Lord Jesus Christ and will submit to him, but not my husband. Because Paul says they're parallel. Now, he's not speaking here again of, of deity. He's not speaking of worship. He's saying in the way that you follow Jesus, you need to follow your husband's lead as to the Lord. You can't be a godly woman at church around all your friends and go home and not submit to your husband. Submission to your husband and obedience to the Lord go together. Secondly, let's look at the wife's submission being God's design. It's God's design. He set it up this way. It's not a bad thing. It's not part of the fall. It is God's design. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife. He's referring here to God's design, God's creation. God created marriage. We often think of it as an institution of government because they give us the certificate or maybe the church because the pastor sometimes does the wedding. Or maybe it's just two people decided in history to get together and get married. But it goes all the way back to Genesis. Before sin came into the world, before the fall, God created man, then he created woman. Out of man, took a rib from Adam and created Eve. And then he said in Genesis 2.18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Why did he create woman? Well, one of the primary reasons is to make a helper suitable for the man. God didn't make a mistake. He didn't create Adam and say, Now what am I going to do? This was all part of his plan from the beginning. And he brought them together. And so he creates Eve and, and brings her to her husband, Adam. And what does he do? He sings. He writes poetry. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And because of that, God says, the man will will leave his father and mother and join with his wife. The two shall become one flesh. It's God's creation. It's good. But then Genesis 3 happens. What happens in Genesis 3? The fall. Satan tempts Eve. She takes of the fruit that God said, don't eat. She sins. Her husband follows her in that sin. They're outcasts. They're outcasts. They're thrown out of the Garden of Eden. And then let's look at Genesis 3.16. Here's where it all starts. Here's where all the problems in marriage start. You can blame Eve and her husband for not leading her properly. And by the way, he blames her when it's really his fault. But let's look at Genesis 3.16. Part of the punishment, part of what we call the curse when they're thrown out of the garden is this. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. There may have already been pain in childbirth, but now it's going to be greatly multiplied. In pain, you will bring forth children. And here's the part about marriage. Yet your desire will be for your husband. And he will rule over you. You may not realize it, but that last sentence, your desire will be for your husband. He will rule over you. That's where all the problems in marriage come from. That's why Paul's addressing it in Ephesians 5. He's going back and saying, this is from creation. This is not the way God designed it, but it happened right after the fall. It's part of the curse. And we're going to address it. God's design in marriage is for the husband to be the head, to be the leader of the wife. Now, you say, where is that in Genesis 3.16? 
Well, it's right there. Yet your desire, that's speaking to the woman, the wife, your desire will be for your husband. What kind of desire is this? Is this a good desire? Physical desire? Well, that would be good. That's what God created. One flesh union mentioned in Genesis 2. No, this is a curse. This is a punishment. So go forward to Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. We see the exact same Hebrew word being used here with regards to Cain. God says, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Sin is waiting for you as you leave this building. Because Cain had sinned in his heart. He had offered up a sinful sacrifice. Sin's waiting for you and its desire is for you. But you must be master of it. You see what the problem is there? The desire is a desire for control. Sin wants to control you, God is saying to Cain, but you need to be master over it. Well, in this case, the woman's now, her desire is for control over her husband. That's part of the curse. It's part of the fall. It's part of sin entering the world. And the husband, his desire is to rule. And the idea is harshly. She desires to control him. He desires to be harsh to her. So Paul's going to address that. Wives submit, husbands love. Why does he bring out those two things? Right here, Genesis 3.16. But God designed it to work the right way. The wife to submit and the husband to lead in love. The man is head of the wife. That's how God designed it. Someone has to be in charge. God has appointed man to be in charge. God created man first, it says. If you have two people in charge, you just have confusion. You just have fighting and bickering. One person leads, the other follows. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians 14, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. God has designed it this way. And if it's done rightly, there's peace, there's joy, there's happiness. But because of sin, it gets in the way and we have all of these problems in marriage. So God has created man, the husband as the leader of the family, the head over the wife. He, he implies protection here. Man is head. What does that mean? He leads, he protects, he serves, he's responsible and much more. He's the head. Does not mean source. Many, many liberal critics will say this just means source. I don't even know how that helps their argument. Because now they're saying that woman comes from man and he's the source of her. But the context here is about leadership. It's about being the authority. When the women in the Corinthian church were having problems with this, they were rebelling in Corinth against their husbands. So much so that they would come to church and show it publicly with what they wore. Whether they wore something on their heads or not. And Paul addressed this in 1 Corinthians 11.3 like this. But I want you, speaking to wives, I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man. And the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. There's an order to things. There's an order to things. And this is good. It's good for us. It's good for us. It's good that we not only are being told that wives submit to their husbands in obedience, but the wife's submission is God's design. He's, he's created it like that. It's a good thing. Wives, do you want that in your marriage? Future wives, do you want blessing? It's not just a cultural command. Because Paul says, look, this goes all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2. And it's going to go all the way forward until Christ returns. God designed submission in the marriage. But it's only sin 
that affects the marriage and he's trying to address this problem because a woman, in other words, who's not submitting is rebelling. Yes, against her husband, but more importantly, against the Lord. He doesn't even appeal to the culture. You know that? People say this is just cultural. It happened in Ephesus in the first century. We are past that now. What does he appeal to? First of all, Christ. Secondly, God's design. And we'll see in a minute to the gospel itself. Well, if man's head over the wife, the objection goes, doesn't this mean a woman is inferior? That she's got some sort of inferior status if this verse is true? It's not at all what it's saying. Look at Galatians 3.28. The same author, the, the Apostle Paul, go back to Galatians 1 book, the same author writes this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. All one. Okay. So what does this mean? There's not to be submission in the marriage of the wife to the husband? And no, Paul's saying there's equal status. In your salvation before God, in your worth, in your being, there is equal status. Because you've both been saved, he's saying. Go forward now, 1 Peter. 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Your husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way as with some, someone weaker since she is a woman. Talking about physically here, weaker. And show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. She's a fellow heir. She's a Christian too. She's saved too. So that your prayers will not be hindered. He's speaking to the husbands there. You might hold your place in First Peter because I think we'll be back there in a moment. What is he talking about? He's talking about the function, the roles in marriage. Christ is God, isn't he? But he's also the son. He's also human as well. And in his submission to the father as he lived upon the earth, we see that he was not at all inferior. Not at all. Are our elders saying that members of the church are inferior in Hebrews 13, whenever it says that members should submit to their leaders? That's not a statement about inferior versus superior. It's about roles. It's about function. Young men are called to submit to their older men. They're all Christians. They're all in the church. They're all equal before God. It's not about inferior. It's not about inferiority. Let's look at some of these verses on Christ. John 17.4. John 17.4. I glorified you on the earth. Christ says, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. He willingly, voluntarily submitted himself to the Father and lived out upon that three-year ministry. He lived out every will that the Father had for him. Even before his ministry, as he was growing up, he submitted to the Father. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. John 4, 34. Is Christ inferior? Is Christ somehow less because he submitted to the Father? I think we would all agree that's not the case. Here's one that'll really throw you. Luke 2.51, he went down with his parents and came to Nazareth and he continued in subjection. Same Greek verb here, hupotasso, continued in subjection to them. He submitted to earthly parents. He created them. He's the Lord of all creation. And there he is submitting to earthly parents. Why did he do that? Because that was the will of God. Just like God has said, wives, submit to your own husbands. He told the son to submit to his earthly parents until he got older. It's not diminishing women at all. What submission boils down to is, is helping 
your husband, following your husband wives. It's helping him in his leadership role of your marriage and of your family and the work that God has called him to do. He's the one that God has given you in marriage to lead you. And the final responsibility for everything in marriage falls upon him. Do you realize that? There's a bit of a mercy here. I don't know if you've seen this, but the husband's going to stand before God every time he makes a decision for your marriage, for your family. He's the one that's got to answer for it because he's the leader and God designed it that way. So God's going to come to him and he's the one held accountable. He'll be the one that stands before the Lord someday on how he's led you, how he's cared for you. Man, this is frightening. We're going to look at that and the rest of this passage in a few weeks. What we're called to do. Wives, you're going to be answering to the Lord for how you submitted to your husbands. That's your role in marriage. To be his helper, which means submitting to his leadership. Thirdly, the third reason that Paul gives, and this is a bit longer, is the wife's submission reflects the gospel. And I was going to say the church as well, but really the, the gospel brings about the church. So they're combined. Look at the rest of 23. As Christ also is the head of the church. So he's already said that the husband is the head of the wife as Christ. So the comparison here is to Christ being head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. He is our ruler. He is our king. He is our leader. It's a big controversy going on right now in California. Who's the head of the church? The governor of California or Jesus Christ who says they should meet, says they should worship together. So you've probably heard a lot recently if you've been following that whole story about how Christ is head of the church, not Caesar. Christ is head of the church. He gets to tell us what to do. He gets to lead us. We're to follow. We're to submit to him. All of us, men and women. And there's nothing wrong with Christ being the head of the church, Paul's saying. There's nothing wrong with that. We shouldn't think anything is wrong with that. We love that. Well, it's the same as husband being head of the wife. And Paul goes on though. He's going to expand this idea. He himself being the savior of the body. Why is he talking so much about the church and the body and Savior now? Because, wives, the way you submit to your husbands reflects the gospel. It actually reflects the church submitting to Christ. There's a comparison. That little word in English, that key word, as, you see it mentioned over and over in this passage. Because submission teaches other people something. It teaches your kids something about Christ and the church. It teaches the world something about Christ and the church. It teaches your friends, your single friends, your married friends. It teaches the woman who's struggling to submit to her husband how it should be done because it's about the gospel. It's about Christ and his church. This is one of those verses where you couldn't make this up if it was a man writing the Bible who was a Christian or a woman. You couldn't make this kind of statement up. It's got to be directly from the Lord. Who would make a comparison to the gospel in marriage? God's word does. It does. It's saying that he's the savior of that body. He's the head because he's gone and he saved them. He's stood in the place. He's particularly redeemed people out of their slavery to sin, out of their slavery to the devil, out of their slavery to self, to the world. He's taken their place. Substitutionary atonement. He, he died on the cross for sinners so that they could be saved and gathered together and be called his body, the church. He is the savior. This is about the gospel. And later Paul's going to say it's a mystery. The whole thing is a mystery. 
But he says one thing he knows is that marriage reflects Christ and his church. That's huge. That's huge, wives. Verse 24, but as the church is subject to Christ. So he's again starting and coming back and, and grabbing that comparison. Just as the church is subject to Christ. We follow him. By the way, what's the great commission? Go therefore, make disciples, right? Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Everybody gets that. And the third part, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Christ is head of the church. We need to follow him. We need to submit to him. We need to obey him. And you know what he's saying right here? Just as the church is subject to Christ, submits to him, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. In everything. Now before you start thinking about objections here, let's deal with what the text says. In everything, in every area. How the household is managed. Discipline of the children. If a wife stays at home or works. Even her physical appearance, like how much makeup to wear, not to wear, clothing choices, etc. This isn't about the husband micromanaging the wife. This is about the husband leading. Leaders don't micromanage. I don't micromanage every little thing that happens in the church as a leader. But it is about having a say. It is about leading. It is about authority. And the husband is to lead. What about submitting, though, to an unbelieving husband in everything? In everything? We're back in 1 Peter. 1 Peter 3 Starting in verse 1, in the same way, wives, be submissive to your husband. So this comes up about four times in the epistles to the church. Wives, be submissive to your husbands, your own husbands. So that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, I could be a believer, that a professing believer, could be an unbeliever. They may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. Wives, submit to your husband and everything. Yeah, yeah, Peter says that because... You can actually win them. Either win them to the truth of their sin and they repent if they're believers or if they're unbelievers, it might even play into their salvation. That's powerful. Yeah, because it's a picture of the gospel. Many stories where where men have seen their wives submit to them, even though the the men did not treat their, their wives that well, they were unbelievers, and years went by, and this wife is submitting to her husband, and one day he says, you know what? Why have you done it all this time? And often the wife will say something like, because my Lord has called me to. And many men have come to salvation through that kind of scenario. A woman who would submit to that. A woman who would live with a man who's an unbeliever. It can lead to his salvation. In everything. Jim Neuheiser in his book, Marriage, Remarriage, and Divorce. It's a great book that we we love to recommend here. He says, submission does not only mean externally following orders. In a healthy marriage, the husband will not frequently tell his wife what to do. Rather, she will gladly seek to help and please him without being asked. It's not just external submission, but internal. It's a joyful attitude. It's the attitude of, what has God created me to do in this marriage? What's my purpose? What's my role? And let me function accordingly. Let me do all that God has called me to do. Now, if you've, wise, if you've done this in your marriage, you've probably seen where It's a blessing, and it can be blessed. It's a good thing. But often we have many objections that come up. I'm not talking about liberal Christians, the world's objections here. We've already considered that. 
but Christian wives listing objections, maybe often just excuses for not submitting or not wanting to submit to their husbands willingly. First of all, the Christian wife says, he might ask me to sin. How can I submit to him in everything if he's asking me to sin? Well, he might ask you to sin. And that's the exception. It's so obvious, Paul doesn't even have to mention it. He's just spent from chapter 4, verse 1, saying, live like you've been called to live in Christ. Imitate God. Be holy. He's dealt with all the major sin categories, drunkenness, sexual immorality, uh, sins of the mouth, sins of the speech. And Paul knows that if you've been following along with his letter, that's obvious. Don't submit if he's asking you to sin. A wife should not lie for her husband. She should not sign false tax returns, for example. She should not submit to her husband if he's asking her to commit any kind of sexual immorality. Even to look at pornographic material, including many shows and R-rated movies that are on TV today. These are not things, wives, that you should do. You certainly shouldn't want to do. And you have a right to say that's a sin. Simply put, if it's a sin in Scripture, a wife must not submit in those cases. If your husband even says you can't read the Bible, let's say an unbelieving husband says to his wife, you can't read the Bible, you can't go to church, you can't even pray, then she has to tell him, just like the apostles, we must obey God rather than men. If your husband has sinned, wives, then you give a general correction in private. If he's asked you to sin, or if he sinned in front of you, you give a general correction in private. Just like Jesus says in Matthew 18, if your brother sins, go and show him in private. Don't gossip about your husband's sin to others. Don't bring it up in front of everybody. Don't correct him in front of a group of people when guests are over. Don't argue about whether he sinned or not in front of other people. If he continues to walk in sin, though, when you've addressed it in private, then get help. Get help from one of your elders. Biblical counseling. Secondly, Husbands can be abusive. This is a big objection. Submit to your husband in everything, but, but men can abuse women. They do abuse women. Husbands do abuse their wives. Yes, some men can abuse, both physically and emotionally. But that's not what submission looks like biblically. That's not what we just looked at here in this passage. Can people take a command of Scripture and twist it to their own desires and their own selfishness? Can they do evil trying to justify it in the Bible? Well, yeah, they've been doing that for thousands of years. That's no excuse to throw out what the Bible teaches here. Now, if your husband does abuse you, keep a few things in mind. First of all, don't repay evil with evil. Some women have been truly abused by their husbands, but then they retaliate with equal levels of violence. The Bible says don't repay evil with evil. Get help. Get out. You may need to remove yourself. You may need to remove your children, in that case, from an abusive situation until you can get help from others. Sometimes people think that a Christian church, one that doesn't believe in no-fault divorce, would not tell a woman to get out of an abusive situation. I can't speak for other churches, but we certainly hold here as elders that a woman should get out of an abusive situation. They should separate for a time. They should get help. Come to your elders. Come to your elders and ask for help. How many times have I already said that in this sermon? Because we've seen, and I think all of us have, the person who suddenly files for a divorce. You didn't even know there was really a problem and suddenly you hear they're getting a divorce or somebody has left the home and separated. Maybe that was needed, but what could have been done long before that 
if, wives, you had approached one of your elders and sought counsel. Your elders are called to shepherd you. They're called to watch over you by scripture. And that's hard to do if they don't know what's going on. A woman who's being abused, especially abused physically, should make their second call when they've been abused to an elder. The first call is to the police. If a woman has been abused physically, it should be a call to the police. And if it's the first call to us, then we're going to call the police because there's consequences to abuse. And we won't tolerate that. Being a shepherd means we're going to shepherd the physical as well as the spiritual. Get help. That might be from authorities, but get help from your church if you're a part of this church or any church. Tell someone. Tell your elders. And single women, it's, it's time to really stop and, and talk to you because you got to be careful who you choose to marry. You haven't entered into that relationship where you need to submit the rest of your life. And that's hard when you're being abused and you have to separate. And what does submission even look like there? You're looking more at 1 Peter 3. And how do you do that? But single women, for good or bad, whoever you choose to marry, you're called to submit in a lifelong marriage. Not if they ask you to sin and not to abuse, but you are called to submit. So you better do your best in making sure that you choose a godly man, that you choose a godly spouse. Don't jump into a marriage just because you want to get out of singleness, because you want to be with somebody, because you're lonely. Compare them to Scripture and seek godly counsel. Number three, fear of the consequences. Why don't, why don't women submit? Why don't they submit to their husbands, to their own husbands, and be filled more with the words of Christ by the Spirit? Because they fear the consequences. A lot of you are just scared at what might happen. What would happen if I submit to my husband? He's going to make a stupid mistake. I've already seen him make a stupid mistake. I'm not going through this again. And it's really, do you trust God? I think is the question here. Do you trust God? That even if your husband does make a stupid mistake, do you trust God with your marriage? That's the real test. The the real test isn't when you agree with what your husband is doing. That's easy. We all can submit when we agree. It's when you disagree. That's the real test. Will you submit then? You can't go around being unsubmissive because you don't like what your husband's doing, saying, now if he's in sin, that's a different scenario. We're just talking about decisions in life that you don't think are wise, that you don't agree with. And the Proverbs has a lot to say about a contentious, unsubmissive wife. It is better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. Proverbs 21, 20, 27, 15, a, a constant dripping on a day of steady rain and a contentious woman are alike. Sometimes we laugh at these verses, but these are serious verses about wisdom in marriage. Proverbs 14.1, the wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. Submitting to your husband is is building up your household. Strong, it's healthy. If the husband's doing his part, the wife's doing her part. But a woman who's contentious is tearing it down. It's better to live in a corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Two times the exact sentence is in Proverbs. In Proverbs 12, 4, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is like rottenness in his bones. Don't embarrass your husband. If you disagree with him, talk about it in private. Other people don't need to be involved in that. That is not good. Don't fear the consequences either. As a wife, you should give your input. You should talk to your husband in private. You should go through what he's thinking and help him. But when he makes a decision... You're to support him freely and joyfully. If it's not sinful, even if you disagree, how do you support him now? How do you help him? 
You know what? If it's a bad decision, then trust that God's going to teach your husband a lesson through that. I can tell you from experience that I respond much better to making my own dumb mistakes and then going to my wife saying I'm sorry than if she points them out to me before I've even made them. Even though she's wise and sees where I'm going, most of us men are not going to respond as good to that. We have to make our own mistakes and then turn around and ask for forgiveness from our wives. Jesus said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. So he's going to take care of you, even if your husband's making bad decisions. Trust that God's going to teach him. Bring him make sure that he's here to church and hearing godly things so he can get wiser. Number four, selfishness. Selfishness. It, it just comes down to, to pure selfishness. I don't want to submit. Wives well, say, because I don't want to submit. It's prideful. Carol Mack in her book, Sweethearts for a Lifetime, says, though we may say aloud that we are afraid, that they will ask us to do something sinful. What we are really afraid of, if we're honest, is that they will ask us to do something we just don't want to do. Some wives say they they fear their husbands or they fear the consequences, but really in their heart, they just don't want to do it. They just don't want to submit. And it boils down to selfishness. Paul says, put off the old self, put on the new. Number five, he's not perfect. Now this can be said different ways, but I don't want to submit to my husband because he's not perfect. Well, you're to follow Christ, I would say. You're to follow Christ. Christ is your example. If your husband is a good example of following Christ, then follow him. And if he's a bad example, then don't follow him. Continue just to look at Christ. If you thought you could have a perfect husband, well, there's only ever one perfect man. He lived 2,000 years ago. So married women, I, I don't know if you have this objection. I don't know whoever lied to you and told you you could have the perfect husband, but you can't. No excuse for not submitting. Number six, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right. It just doesn't feel right. Well, we can't trust our feelings. We can't trust our emotions. Is it a sin? No. It just doesn't feel right. Well, express yourself to your husband. Let him know your reasons for not feeling right, your emotions, your intuitions, fine. But listening to your heart or letting your emotions rule you is no reason to not submit. We take scripture into our mind first, and that changes our desires, our will, which then changes our affections, which are our emotions. Our emotions are ruled over by our mind. Our emotions don't rule our mind. Our mind rules over the emotions. The last one, number seven. My husband is passive and doesn't lead. So the wife says, I have to lead. How do I submit to a guy who won't lead? I've got to lead. Someone's got to do it. This is often the excuse for even women pastors in the church. No, men will get up and lead. I've got to lead. It's a bad argument in the church. It's a bad argument in the marriage. Sometimes this comes up because wives are comparing their husbands to someone else. They're thinking, well, look at so-and-so. He's so great of a husband. And look at this guy. He, he, does, he does all the stuff around the house. You're not, you're not doing anything. This guy makes smarter decisions with his work. He makes more money. He seems more godly. When you look at it that way, of course your husband is going to look like he doesn't lead. Once a woman wanted to do what she thought was build up her husband in a conversation, and I was there for that. And, and she said, my husband doesn't know the Bible. He doesn't know theology as well as you. He doesn't know the theology as well as most people in the church. He doesn't even know theology as well as me. But I'll tell you, he's really good with his hands. After she had just lowered him down, 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 compared to every other guy in the church. If your husband truly won't lead you, though, or you don't think he's leading you like you want him to, then submit without complaining. 
still submit without complaining. There's really an endless amount of excuses we could think of why we don't want to obey Scripture. But in the end, there's no situation that God didn't think of. God already knows all things. God's already seen all things. God knows your situation, your marriage. And he still says, submit. Out of love, voluntarily, not being forced. Because it's your calling. Elizabeth Elliot, famous Christian author, wrote in her newsletter to women, But Elizabeth, you don't seem to realize that my case is an exception. Elizabeth says, is it? Then it's not my business. I try to stick with what the Bible does say, not to what it doesn't say. He didn't give us any footnotes. Take your special case to the foot of the cross. Have a long, honest look at it there. Let the light of Christ illuminate your situation. Whatever's going on in your marriage, whatever's happening, take it to God. Take it to Christ. But at the end of the day, God has called us to submit. Not when we're asked to sin in the different roles that we play in life. But he does say, wives, submit to your husband and everything. Because it does all these things. You're obeying Christ. You're submitting to God's design. And you're showing people the gospel. Let's pray for help right now with that. Jesus, you said that your, your burden is easy. Your burden is light. And even though we have to talk about all these objections and excuses that the world gives, Lord, we just want to honor you. We want to follow you. And, and we ask that wives would voluntarily, lovingly serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what they're being called to in this passage. And we know that many men have abused this passage. They have used it to justify their sin. But we pray that would not be the case in this church. That these men would live holy lives before you. And that the wives would love you enough to follow your commands. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.